to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, and it brings me so much joy to share these heartfelt and practical conversations with you because I believe each conversation is slowly moving our collective forward. And as educators, we're moving towards a better future, a future where schools recognize the importance of staff well-being and student well-being. Did you know that humans have at least 70,000 thoughts on average per day? And that's just the starting point. For so many teachers, we are dealing with so many humans of all ages on a daily basis. And all of these interactions create so many thoughts in our minds. And these thoughts in our minds create stories. Stories we tell about ourselves. Stories we tell about others. And these stories can be really helpful and empower us to move forward and to take courageous action. And these stories can also hold us back to avoid challenge, to avoid anything that's uncomfortable and to do things in familiar and predictable ways. So getting to know the stories we tell ourselves is really crucial to our well-being. To explore this topic in more depth, I am joined today by Madhavi Nawana Parker. Madhavi is one of Australia's leading experts on mental health and well-being. Her evidence-based programs are implemented throughout Australia and overseas. Madhavi brings her studies in psychology, counselling and over two decades of professional work in schools and organisations to lead Positive Minds Australia in their commitment to improve connection, compassion, empathy and well-being for all. Madhavi was a finalist in the Global 2023 Women Changing the World Awards in two categories, Hall of Fame for over 20 years of consistent commitment to her field and education for her work on teacher, parent and student well-being in schools. Madhavi is the author of several books including Educator Wellbeing, Practical Solutions to Reset, Recharge and Recover. In this conversation we discuss where our stories come from, why the stories we tell ourselves matter, how to flip the script on our unhelpful stories and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Madhavi Nawana Parker. Madhavi, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you, Meg. It's lovely to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about the stories we tell about ourselves and others. Why do you think this is an important topic for teachers to consider? Meg, the stories we tell ourselves 
really drive everything. You know, we're meaning makers. So whatever is happening around us, we're always trying to interpret it and understand it. So when we look at teachers, they spend all day in their thought processes. You know, there's rarely a moment they aren't thinking, right? They're constant supervisors, hyper aware of every move their students make, by minute decision makers and all this thinking that goes on all day for all of us. You know, Meg, this is a universal thing. So we all make meaning of what's happening around us, you know, through these stories we start to tell in our heads. But when you look at, you know, what teachers are doing, surrounded by young developing minds all day, this kind of thinking generates all kinds of stories. And those stories might be about why did that kid do that? Or why didn't they do that thing that I asked them to do? Or stories about an email that just landed in their inbox, you know, full of expectations that are overwhelming or hard to meet. So, you know, it's a tough job in education. And I think, Meg, what happens is they don't really get a chance to stop and regroup and think through things. So that dialogue can get really complex and really deep really quickly. And it's really, really important for teachers to be aware of this universal thing that happens to all of us, but especially in a role that has such a strong emotional and cognitive load all day long so that they can really start to be aware, well, are these stories actually helping me enjoy my job or are they adding to the struggle of the job that's already inherently challenging? So, for me, I think when I think of teachers, I think, all right, well, if we know the general population's got 60 to 70,000 automatic thoughts all day long, Meg, uh, I can only begin to imagine what that is for teachers. So, so that's why I feel this is really, really important for our educators to understand. Yes, there's no evidence for this, but I believe that teachers have an additional amount of thoughts on top of the average 70,000 because as you've beautifully articulated in every moment, we're thinking about multiple people. We're not just thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about the people in our classroom, the people in our staff rooms. We're thinking about the families attached to the young people that we work with. So there is so much happening and it can get a little bit complex and a little bit messy. So where do our stories come from? Everything you've just said is so true, Meg. There is no other circumstance in a workplace that you would be responsible for so many other people who attach to so many other stories that they bring into your workspace. Uh, and then there's you as well. So, uh, you know, let's just start with looking at our mind uh, that's always trying to make meaning of the past and the future. We're not particularly good as a species. Animals are great at this. They stay in the present moment. They just follow whatever's happening in front of us, uh, them at that time. But for us as a species, you know, what's lovely about being human is we get to think and we get to communicate with this really rich language, but there's a price we pay, which is we're always replaying stuff that's already happened. So for a teacher, that could be whatever happened with that student last year or earlier that year but also the fears about what might happen next for that student. So our minds are continually chattering away. And because we store negative experiences, they solidify, as you would know, in our memories much quicker than the happier memories and the more positive ones. So they linger uh, and then that dialogue isn't particularly great. I remember there's a quote, and if I hope I'm remembering the person correctly, but Rick Hansen, PhD, he said, our brains like Velcro for bad experience and like Teflon for good ones. You've probably heard that one before. So 
you know, when we're looking at, at where our stories come from, we, we can't avoid thinking about our negativity bias, which just we haven't adapted, Meg, in the way that would make us less anxious and more confident. So as soon as you wake up in the morning, quite often until we retrain our brains and I'm still trying and I'm 49 and I know I still have a long way to go, Meg. But the first thing you think about is is all of the things on your to-do list, right? Can you relate to this? You just immediately think about all the problems, all the challenges. And so if you think about how we make sense of our lives in a role as a teacher, there are so many problems in any given moment. And a lot of teachers don't realize how many problems they're just solving on an ongoing basis. So these stories are coming into our minds from that platform of the negativity bias, which is always looking for a problem, always looking for a challenge. What could be wrong? And then these stories that come from our core beliefs, they come from, you know, that ingrained positive and negative experiences that we've had throughout our lives start to influence the way we think about ourselves, you know, the way we think about others. They're really automatic. And because they're our own voice, these stories that are saying, why something's just happened, why something didn't happen. They're so automatic, but they're coming from our own voice. So they feel real, Meg. They feel like, well, I said that in my head, so it must be true. And so, you know, that's where they're coming from, from our negativity bias, from our mind and from all our past experiences and all our fears of the futures. We're so complex, Meg. (laughs) And that's where the beauty is. In all this complexity, how can we start to make sense of it? And I love that you bring up the negativity bias because I have another hypothesis without any backing that teachers have an additional negativity bias because we've got our inbuilt one, so the software that we came with, but then we also have one that we're trained into. We're trained to correct, to modify, to change. So we've got this inbuilt software, but then we're trained to really look for it. So that means it requires additional effort to rethink about it and to notice what is this story? Is this helpful? Is it unhelpful? And I was laughing in my mind as you're talking about different students and the stories we tell ourselves. And, you know, you might look at a student and then you realize, oh, there's three more of them. There's four in the family. You haven't even met the siblings, but already you've got all of these stories. Or you may have had a really pleasant experience with a student. Then you meet their brother or sister think, oh my gosh, are you from the same family? It's never, never ending. So how can we bring greater awareness to our stories? By just knowing that they're there, Meg, that's the first step. You know, self-awareness is where all change starts. So the way we become more, you know, aware of the actual stories is by really knowing what they sound like. And I think a really important thing to remember is the evidence is all there in what we tell whoever it is we debrief to about our day. So quite often we'll have a dialogue in the car or as we're commuting home about everything that's just happened. So start paying attention to, well, how are you narrating whatever just happened to you today? And then what are you talking about? And really it's what are you claiming the most about? Because our good stories 
they're fantastic. We can leave them right there, Meg. We don't need to kick them out. They are most welcome. But the negative stories, the stories about, you know, what went wrong, what's going to go wrong next, you know, we really have to start by noticing them, knowing what we get cranky about. Generally speaking, as a species, we've got about nine themes that run around in our head. And those nine themes are all related to whatever's happening in front of us, whatever has already happened, and what we're worried about happening next. So these are the kinds of automatic negative thoughts. We all have them. This is a universal thing. And there are certainly benefits to noticing what's wrong in our environment, but we'll start by looking at where they can be challenging. So first automatic negative thought that we tend to have is that all or nothing thinking. So there's absolutely no gray areas at all. Like I've got the worst class this year and I can't get anywhere with it. So it's just, it's all bad and it can only see that. The second automatic negative thought, you know, the less than uh, automatic thought. So it's always comparing yourself all the other teachers at the school, everybody else who's had that student in previous years and perhaps not had those same challenges. And I think Instagram and things like that make it so hard on our teachers, Meg, because everyone is posting that highlight reel of these classrooms that look so incredibly perfect and beautiful. And they're talking about this successful outcome they've had with a student that's had everything that could possibly be difficult for them to be in a classroom. And then you're not hearing about how they actually got there. You're hearing about the outcome. So I think that thinking pattern I see a lot when I'm working with teachers, they just feel like I can't keep up with it. I've got all this research, all this knowledge, and I'm still struggling. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And yet they do know what to do when they tune back into their own sort of, you know, their own skills, their own uh, value sets. So that one is always tricky. Just the bad ant, which is kind of very similar automatic thought to the all or nothing one. So it just sees the bad in every situation. So we can start to tell our stories, stuffed up that lesson completely. I'm so bad at teaching or I'm no good at teaching receptions, or there's the guilt (laughs) automatic thoughts. So I should have done a better job. I should have been more connected and all of those should have. In teaching, when I really think about when I'm sitting in a classroom, you know, that blame and blaming yourself, blaming your students, blaming the parents, that sort of dialogue that goes on and on our mind. So I think bringing awareness, what kind of automatic negative thoughts are we having? What's the pattern And what new story can I tell about that challenging situation that is more supportive of who I am, more supportive of who my students are, and really more realistic and less catastrophic? It is so true that we are meaning-making machines. We are constantly making meaning of what we see. When we start to notice these automatic negative thoughts, we're inviting a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at the situation. I remember someone once said to me, when the ambulance goes by, I tell myself someone's about to have a beautiful baby. And I thought that is such a powerful example of a simple story that they tell themselves. And it's an uplifting, exciting experience. This person loves babies. And I think that is just such a beautiful example of how we can make meaning and how that meaning settles in our body. I love that so much, Meg. And, you know, if you think even about what we're recording here today, now it's something you and I do on a regular basis. We're familiar with doing this sort of thing. 
But even in the lead up, as I was coming to sit down with you, all those automatic negative thoughts, all those stories, all those expectations on myself, oh, I'm speaking to Meg and this is really important and I really don't want to let her down and I want to do a good job. And she communicates with all of these incredible group of guests that she has. And, you know, why am I here? Why has she asked me? And then I go back. And I do, you know, every time I'm presenting, sometimes you're presenting to, you know, people that just feel so hugely important and so much more important than I am and I'm about to present and then I tune back, straight back to just love, Meg, and thinking in that moment, I care so much about teachers. I care, I have so much respect for what they do and I flip the script in that moment by telling myself just do everything you can to give them some knowledge that is useful to them. And when I take the attention off myself, I'm completely relaxed again. That's a bit like, you know, moving away from expecting that it's not going to be good enough or expecting that something's going to go wrong to what can I bring to this? You know, how can I look at this great opportunity to share some knowledge and information with people I care deeply about? And that helps me. And I'm sure listeners can feel that change. When we go from what will people think, I'm not good enough, I'm not prepared enough, have I prepared too much, what if I get the wrong there, we go there, but then when we can shift and find that gear of I've got this, whatever happens, we can manage it, we've been here before and I'm the same before any presentation, the five minutes before when I'm sitting in the audience waiting to be introduced, that's when my brain is at top pitch that's what I'm thinking oh maybe I should be more prepared maybe I should be one of those speakers that has all the things listed and knows exactly I should have a script maybe I should have a script I should be a script scripted speaker and then I have to come back to no that's not my process my process is I'm a co-design speaker I have clear things in mind that I want to get through but I'm constantly watching the audience to see where they're going what's moving them, and I dance with them. That's my process. But in that five minutes before every talk, I'm thinking, I'm doing it wrong. I can't do this. And then with about 30 seconds in, I have that sense of, it's okay. Let's do this. And I think that is such a skill to be able to move through that discomfort. And I love that you highlight that it just never goes away. We just have to keep showing up facing our stories and doing it anyway. That's exactly right. It never goes away. This is part of being human. And I think, you know, I think there's there's a good thing about that. I think if we think we're just so good and there's nothing to learn and we're exactly in the right place at the right time and, you know, the people sitting there are lucky to have us and we're the expert, then we just stop learning. And, you know, it's so important to be humble in whatever we're doing. So, yeah, I love that. And so when we're thinking about stories and the examples that we've both shared today, what happens if we don't move forward? What happens if we believe our stories and stay with them? Well, they'll hold us back, Meg. The, the ones that are negative and destructive, they'll really hold us back from opportunities, uh, from enjoying our lives exactly for what they are, from being present. We'll spend a lot of our time in the past. You know, every time we 
have a thought, our brain releases chemicals, Meg. So every time you've got a sad, judgmental, hopeless, unkind, helpless story running around in your mind, uh, your brain is going to release chemicals that just make your body feel absolutely horrible, right? And, And when you're feeling horrible, you don't think straight. You know, when you're thinking at a really, really fast pace, this is when we, you know, think of your example, my example, before we get up on a stage or present on, on a podcast or on the radio, in the, that five-minute period, we've both learned to sit with it and regulate the emotions. Because if you don't, what will got happen is if you don't regulate it, Meg, if you don't switch that dialogue and flip the script in that moment, what will actually happen to us is we'll make our worst decisions because that prefrontal cortex in our brain switches off. It stops thinking. We go into that fight, flight, freeze straight. Some of these stories are so terrifying. And this happens to teachers in a classroom when a, when a student escalates and their behavior is really hard to manage and in that moment, all they need is for someone to co-regulate with them. If the teacher's story is, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't cope with this student. This student is completely out of control. The teacher is probably going to make their worst decisions in that moment. So, you know, our stories can really hold us back when we're not able to pay attention to them and start thinking differently around them. And when we start thinking with optimism and confidence, and remind ourselves that we're trained to do what we're doing. You know, we're kind-hearted people. You know, why else would you put yourself in a job where you're surrounded by young developing brains all day long who come with all of their own stories? You know, we're drawn to this work because we care about people uh, and we care about young people. So when we go back to our love for our work, our compassion for our students, we start to warm up again, but we can't do that without regulating ourselves. So emotional regulation in this moment of storytelling is absolutely crucial. I love that you bring up that regulation piece and to get in touch with our nervous system and how when our nervous system is activated, our stories are much more intense. But when our nervous system is settled, our stories seem just easier to be with. And it's a really interesting way to look at it because Every day is different because our nervous system is different every day. The vibe at the start of term is very different to how we're feeling at the end of term and then just starting to notice and get curious about how is that impacting on the stories that I'm telling myself. 100%. We cannot think clearly when we're escalated ourselves. So I agree wholeheartedly with that. And, you know, the first step before we start that I am not my thoughts, I don't have to believe everything I think. We all know this, don't we, Meg? We've all heard what we, we all know what we need to do for our well-being and for our mindset. But if we're not clear in the mind, if our central nervous system is in disarray, if we're operating off that fight, flight, freeze, survival mode, which we often will in a classroom when the students are are not cooperating, when their emotional regulation is out of whack, this will very quickly trigger our mirror neurons in our brain that reflect back whatever's going on in front of us. So if there's chaos in front of us, we'll start to feel the chaos. So a really important part of turning this script around, a really important part of, of not paying too much attention to our thoughts and seeing them all 
as real is really learning to to calm ourselves down and the first thing uh, and they'll be very familiar with this and I you know we're funny species we're so resistant to the most simple thing in front of us but it's the breath it's taking control of our primary force for emotional regulation which is our breath you know we have complete control over it and when we get really good at taking slow deep diaphragmatic breaths now we've got to remember Meg Breathing strategies are a personal thing. So what works for your next door neighbor is not necessarily going to work for you. And it's really important to start figuring out what what is going to be the breath that calms you down. So I'll share a couple of my favorite ones that I often use in schools because teachers can do this with their students. And I think when they're leading the class, they're also regulating them. But there's the double inhale. I don't know if you've heard of the double inhale, but it's one of my absolute favorites. You take in a really deep breath through your nostrils and then you suck it in and just take a little bit more air in and that reinflates the sacs in our lungs. And then on the way out, we breathe out through tight loops. And what that slow breath out on the out of our breath does is it helps activate those neural circuits in our brain and help our body switch from the sympathetic so that's the fight flight freeze to the parasympathetic which is our beautiful calm state it's just this reminder that these are simple strategies that are available to us they're free you don't need an app for it we can just breathe and with that breath our stories change. The meaning we're making about ourselves and other people can change. That's exactly right. And I think we can get really stubborn about taking that deep breath. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we get caught up in the mindset strategies, the well-being tools. We'll be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to think this next time that happens. But even that tone that you would have just heard in my voice reflecting on what I've heard so many times, both in myself and the people when I'm coaching and supporting people around this, it's almost in a state of panic. Like I've got to do something different. I've got to do something different. Yet we cannot do anything different until we're calm. We just cannot do anything different or think anything different until we're calm enough to calm ourselves down to go back into reality. So all of those breath techniques work. You know, the four, seven, eight you would have heard about, you know, where you breathe in for four, you hold for seven, you breathe out through those tight pursed lips for eight. That breathing, if we can do three, four cycles of that consciously before our next move and do it with our students, we're role modelling to them the importance of really responding to the fact that it's part of our humanity that we're always looking for problems. We're always listening to these stories that tell us about what could go wrong as part of that negativity bias. And if we can just breathe, we go back to reality, Meg. We're back in the present moment. We're back in the experience that, you know, we want our lives to work out. Our students want our lives, their lives to work out. We're all here in this human experience wanting to connect, wanting to get along, wanting to learn. But when we're feeling threatened and, you know, for the students, we've got to remember they've got stories going on all day in their minds. You know, I don't know how to do maths. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to fail this year. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, when I sit with young people and hear what, what their stories are, 
you know, when we factor that in as educators in that moment and soften our hearts into that compassion and that connection with our students, rather than I've got to have a solution right now, I've got to know what I'm doing right now, we can really start to bring the pace back into reality, back into presence and really start a new story together and start writing a new dialogue about what it is to teach and be in that moment with these young people. And what a gift to be able to write a new dialogue. I'm just thinking back to a time when I was teaching this one student and I, we had lots of conversations. It was what's happening in her life and working together. And I heard her talking to some friends around the corner we, after a bit of a heightened, activated time. And they were like just chatting away. And she's like, oh, but she's nice. She's a nice teacher. She's like, yeah, she looks nice, but she's a bitch. Just made me giggle. And I was like, radio, that's today. Tomorrow, who knows what I'm going to be? Like tomorrow I could be the best thing since sliced bread. And just knowing that that intensity passes Like it all passes and we don't need to get too attached to the drama, too attached to the stories because it will pass once we all start to settle down and we can start to think again. And, you know, other people are always going to have a judgment as we do. I mean, this is part of the story we tell ourselves. We don't just tell them about ourselves and our own life. We tell those stories about other people just like that student did that day. And again, it goes back to when we're feeling fragile, when we're feeling misunderstood, when we're feeling out of our depth, we're more likely as humans to look to someone else to blame as well, Meg. So in those moments, you know, for that student, they're going to, when they've had a struggle and they've had a challenge, they're also going to look for everything they can possibly think of that they don't like about you or didn't like about that moment. And so... We have to give ourselves self-compassion and that's a really important part of the storytelling experience too is just to remember our common humanity in these moments as well and that we're all going through this at the same time and that warmth and connection and it's a new day and I'm self-compassionate towards myself and compassionate towards others and I'm just going to keep writing a new script. I'm just going to keep thinking about all the things that can go right today, all the things that are great about my teaching abilities, all the things I do feel that I know, you know, where I know what I'm doing, you know, all the things that are likable about my students uh, and all the things that my students are doing well. And we start to think about that every time we catch ourselves thinking about all the things that have gone wrong. And then we leave each day with great memories rather than memories of everything that went wrong, which is what we're wired to do. That negativity bias will keep bringing us back to the one thing. And we've got to go, no, I'm not just listening to that. I'm going to start thinking, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I catch myself, Meg, I immediately and deliberately for one minute, I will set a timer if I need to think about all of the things I'm grateful for and all of the things that are going really beautifully in my life and all the things I'm looking forward to. And immediately my mood is uplifted and I'm doing that while I'm breathing slowly and deeply and I have an infinitely better day when I start the day with a different story. And I love that you've created a practice 
that's deliberate. So you're deliberately putting the brakes on those unhelpful stories. You've got the practice of sitting quietly, thinking about the good things in your life and then moving from that place. And I think this is what the conversation is really highlighting that as humans, our default is to have some pretty crappy, unhelpful stories. And so it takes deliberate effort to reach for a helpful story, something that's more uplifting. At the moment, working with teachers, it's really interesting to hear their stories about education, the system, what's happening, because we can get into this real negative story. And there is some challenges, but we can also get into a really uplifting story that the best is yet to come. We've never had more power. We've never had these conversations in schools before. Teachers are really coming into their power. It's a new wave. It's a new way of being. There's, we're rethinking the way that we work. We're rethinking our role in society. And that's exciting. Like that story, that narrative is so much more uplifting. So exciting. Educators are drawn to this work because they have some really incredibly deep core values about, you know, what it is to be a person in this world. And they care so deeply about this next generation and their future. They are having the most incredible impact on young people today through their presence. I have so much respect for someone that can stand in a room with a group of young people and really make this conscious effort to form a deep connection with a broad range of personalities and have an impact on how they show up in the world through how they show up in their classrooms and this tremendous, tremendous role that it is to to lead a group in a classroom. And, And you're absolutely right. I'm really excited that teachers are finally and educators in schools are finally getting the recognition and I think that's because of the pandemic Meg I think you know we had to teach our kids at home it was terrifying and you know you and I have been thinking about teacher well-being you have your personal experience through your experience as a teacher yourself and I have my experience you know spending the last you know 20 years or so working in schools and I've always you know been right about the students and when my publisher you know when the the pandemic arrived they came to me and they said you know you're always talking about teacher well-being you're always talking about how big this role is and the impact it has it but and you want to write can you write that book now because we're starting to see the impact it has on a person to try and teach a young person who doesn't necessarily want to learn in the day you know I had my three kids at home during the pandemic and we spent a lot of time outside playing. I was not a good teacher, Meg. I didn't know how to communicate the things that I needed to communicate, uh, you know, with my family in that time. And I think that tremendous respect is really starting to finally come about. And I do think it's an exciting time for teachers. I think they're finally getting the appreciation that they deserve. I think parents are seeing the complexity of their role And we are having, you know, there is more voice out there in the world for educators to talk about what they know and to teach the rest of us what it is to co-regulate all day, you know, with young developing minds and, you know, pass on this curriculum that's not just around numeracy and literacy. It's now about emotional regulation and social emotional development and well-being and, and all of that. 
and how beautiful that we're starting to make that invisible load of teaching more visible, not just in schools, but in the community and really getting the message out there. Because if we want our young people to be really well and they're moving into a very complex world, we need to be well. And it requires us to look at our stories, the stories we're telling about ourselves, the stories we're telling about other people and the stories that we're telling ourselves about the system and to just get curious and think about, is it helping? Is it lifting me up or is it actually holding me back from enjoying my work? So Marva B, to wrap up this beautiful and thought-provoking conversation, I would love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? I'm up for it. I am inspired by? Nature. When life feels hard? I get out of my head and into my body and take a really big walk or go to the gym. An underrated skill is? Compassion. And I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to being more present with every day. Madhavi, thank you for the incredible work you're doing in schools and communities. And thank you for being a beautiful guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. It's been an absolute joy. How incredible is Madhavi? She has such a calming and soothing presence. And I hope this conversation has really got you thinking about the stories you tell about yourself, others, and the whole education system. To learn more about Mardavi and Positive Minds Australia, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. If you're feeling a little stuck and you want to shake things up this term, join Dr. Rebecca Ray and myself for an online masterclass that explores the four myths keeping educators stuck and how to find inspiration and empowerment instead. This unique opportunity will be Thursday the 17th of August and if you aren't able to join us live, don't worry. You'll have access to the recording so you can watch in your own time. This session is going to be so powerful and jam-packed with practical advice that will really help you to take the next step. With Dr. Rebecca Ray's clinical knowledge and my knowledge of life in the classroom together, we're going to really explore what is it that stops us from doing the things that we know we need to do to experience life in the ways that we really want to. It is going to be magic and I look forward to seeing you there. You can find all the information in the show notes or visit www.rebeccaray.com.au forward slash four myths. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash podcast 94. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.